uh, your audio sounds great. I don't know what kind of mic you've got, but uh, it sounds, I think, probably better than mine. <laughs> but no, uh, yours sounds really good too. I have a roadie mic. Okay. Um, it's it's old, but it's just it keeps hanging in there. Yeah, this is a uh, um, what the heck is this? Uh, it's an Octava. It's a Russian condenser. Oh and, yeah, and it's a, they're like a a cheap cheap version of a Neumann, and you can uh, allegedly upgrade them to a Neumann, like to have some parts replaced by yeah, this guy. I think that I read about upgrades. them. So I've been like, uh, that's been my plan to do that. So but I got them for under a hundred bucks each. I've got a couple, and was gonna have this mod done, and then they were gonna sound like three thousand dollar microphones. <laughs> but uh, how much does the mod cost? Uh, it's like two two fifty or three. So I haven't got the funds yeah. together to do that. I just keep putting it off. Anyway. Uh, <clears throat> I really appreciate you, uh, you uh, making the time. Um, oh, sure. I am just a podcaster and uh, amateur musician, and uh, I have not done a formal interview kind of thing with anyone in probably 20 years. Although, <laughs> in What was your last uh, formal interview? In college, I was the production manager for my radio station, for the college oh, radio okay. station, the student production manager. So uh, I did a. I used to produce all the carts, the interstitials, uh, things like that. And I did an interview with a playwright, whose uh, play was debuting at at our uh, theater. And I don't even remember the play or his name, <laughs> mm. but the interview was fun. And uh, I rem- remember that uh, he knew how to make pizza. He had a pizza recipe too that we also talked <laughs> about after we talked yeah. about the lighting and the the metaphors and all that. Anyway. I have a pizza recipe I'd like to share, Paul. Do you? No. Well, you've mentioned I in one of your uh, <clears throat> chats. You mentioned being uh, an amateur chef, uh, and oh, I yeah. and I am too. And I, I, maybe in your, one of your rambles, you should talk about what you cook because uh, food. yeah, I'm actually not. You're not. No, I think I think I was playing on. Um, oh, Olivia's uh, interviewing chefs. Yeah. Oh, Olivia. Yeah, she 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 uh, wrote me and asked me to do an interview. Right. And um and she linked me to her page as to some page. I don't it was I couldn't find it later, but and it seemed like, you know, her program always told was just celebrities and chefs. Oh, okay. I and thought I, I thought like I remembered I, you talking at some point about how you like to cook, but uh maybe I was pretending. I don't remember. I mean I do <laughs> I actually cook. I do I do a lot of our cooking here, but I'm not really a good a good cook. Oh. And I and I don't hate cooking, but it's yeah. it's not like a Oh. It's not a specialty for me. Okay. Well, I I, I love to cook, so I love to talk about well, that's cooking. That's nice. But I'm not. Uh, I'm not. Uh, I'm not uh, great at it. But you know, I don't have any training. But uh, I, I do fun stuff like that. Anyway, so um, I I just uh, wanted to use like uh, Kittery Embers as a subject to talk about, but also just have a conversation and see how it came out. And uh, oh sure, I'm both overprepared and underprepared and that I have a bunch of like formal questions and introductory <laughs> stuff written and then a bunch of little scraps of un- like little words written down and things like that. So probably a little of both. Um, yeah, I don't have any, I don't care. Any, any, um, whatever we talk about is fine. Okay. You know, and Cause for, you know, for me, it's sort of the same. You're experimenting as interviewer and I'll be experimenting as interviewee. Okay. And- <laughs> And it's uh, it's fun just to practice. Okay, to see if you can you can answer questions about things you should be able to answer questions about. It's generally not the case. With me. <laughs> well, so I'll I'll do my little uh, introduction, and uh, I may 
interrupt it and uh, or you can interrupt me at any time if you want but let's say uh, this is Paul Potts I have a guest tonight we're trying an interview via Skype uh, my guest is Sean Hurley uh, I will mention uh, resources that are available online and I'll put those in the show notes at generalpurposepodcast.blogspot.com and I think this is show 34 and I'd like to say that I'm going to edit this down into something very tight and coherent but since I started doing constant like podcasts more frequently I just don't really edit that much anymore yeah you don't need to so um, a little background uh, Sean Hurley is a storyteller I guess that's probably the best word that Describes what you do. Uh, he, I would say so, yes. Yeah. Uh, he has produced stories for New Hampshire Public Radio, songs for the Ron, Ron and Fez show. Uh, I should have Googled them, but who are Ron and Fez and what is their show? Can you... Uh, um, they are a uh, daily uh, comedy talk show on XM Sirius Satellite Radio. Okay, it sounds, that's why I've never heard them. <laughs> the, yeah, they, they've... they've uh, had regular terrestrial radio um, shows for the last decade or so, but this is their probably their biggest thing, and probably not and in my region. I guess they must have. No, been. no, they're everywhere. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, the satellite radio thing is the is sort of international. I mean, there are people all over the world listen to their show, and uh, they're they share the their station with uh, Opie and Anthony. You may know. Or heard of them? Okay, Opie and Anthony. You ever, they're sort of like not really. Know, Howard, they're like Howard Stern ish. Okay, well, I do know okay. who Howard Stern is, so I'm not. So uh, I'm not yeah, that far. Yeah. A long, long ago, um, not that long ago, I used to develop a software that uh, worked with Sirius radios. So I know a little, I did huh. testing on that, and I know a little bit about how that works, but uh, never really uh, had a had one. You know, never really consume much of that kind of media, but but that's that's good to know. So, but when I'm seeing your songs and whatnot that are listed that are shown as being uh, having appeared on the Ron and Fez show, I just have no context. I kind of right. draw a blank. So, so well, the, it's weird. I it's um, we got an XM radio. I don't know what 2005 or something, and um, and I started doing my podcast in 2006, and I was listening to the Ron and Fez show at the time. And, uh, it, it kind of occurred to me that, um, and I didn't want to put my podcast on, on iTunes cause I sometimes use music that wasn't mine. Right. Right. So I was concerned at that time about copyright and things <clears> like that. So I just had my, my podcast just on my site and I, I didn't know how to advertise it. And, and I was, I was writing music, you know, I, I was sort of, I'm always sort of writing music and, and I, it occurred to me, uh, while listening to one of their shows that I could you know, write a song because they use, you know, they have people that send in songs and they play them and then they get their whatever website plugged. So it occurred to me that I could write a song or two and they could plug my website. And um, and then it just sort of carried on from there. And I started doing their imaging um, for two or three years. I, you know, I'd send them in the, uh, you know, it's the Ron and Fez show on XM202. And that would, you know, that kind of, Announcery stuff. You got a phone. Oh, you're all alone. Man, you're stoned. Call home. You're all alone. You got a phone. 
so you became so the Sherwin Sleeves voice became sort of uh, their uh, mascot in a in a way. Yeah, the voice of the show, and then when Sirius, that's back when they were just XM, and then when Sirius uh, bought XM, uh, everything kind of got straightened out, and they got rid of you know I mean they just they were using me as their imager, but they weren't paying me or anything, and it was just kind of. You know, back in the good old days, and then uh, Sirius showed up, and they, you know, it had, everything had to become very slick and more professional, right? So <laughs> less odd. <laughs> so, how did you wind up uh, as a producer? I guess you're a freelance producer for New Hampshire Public Radio. I'm just curious, yeah. like, what the last sort of arc of the t- maybe I don't know when you got done with school twenty years ago or something like that. <laughs> uh, when um, when in 1991. 92 somewhere in there okay i did a year of uh a year's half of an mfa at emerson college oh okay finish. oh that um, that ex- that would explain uh some, yeah. of, some of what what i see in your work but um <laughs> but so you you wind up uh, you were in english um yeah english and uh, russian literature russian literature i was an english major and a computer science minor maybe a strange mm-hmm combination but i never went beyond beyond a bachelor's but um, i i don't really consider that i did either <laughs> so <laughs> okay. i don't actually consider that i achieved the bachelor's but i guess i have the document but it doesn't feel that i <laughs> I, I earned anything for wow. my four years <laughs> but uh so any, uh, but the um the uh almost everything that i've done has related in some way to the Sherwin Sleeves character. It, you know, so the Ron Fez music, for, the New Hampshire Public Radio. For that long, Well, it all, I mean, I basically for the last, you know, until I was, maybe until 2006, 2007, I didn't really, uh, you know, I didn't do anything. I didn't, I didn't put myself out into the world at all. Um, I just had jobs and I wrote and I did music, but I just kind of kept it all to myself. I had this, uh, I don't know what it, what, what it was, but I had this sense that, um, I've always had the sense of myself that I was just going to be sort of a secret artist. Uh, not like, <laughs> not like Banksy or anything like that, but right. like, um, I never thought, oh, well, I can be a novelist or I can do, I never thought I could cross the threshold into reality. Yeah, well, actually, so I, that's I've got some some more detailed questions about exactly how that happened. Uh, uh, let me let me um, back up and go on just a little bit, and we'll come back around to that if that's okay. Sure. Um, so let's see. I was going to just uh, give my listeners a little bit of background about Sherwin Sleeves, the character. Uh, a 79-year-old retired actor living in a rustic cabin in Lehman, New Hampshire. And the stories he tells are absolutely remarkable. Uh, They are collected in Sean's podcast called Adam's Motion and the Void, at least up to a point, and I'll get to that. I say, when I say uh, remarkable, I'm really serious. They go from small, uh, intimately observed perceptions of people and their relationships to uh, international conspiracy theories, life in the theater, Cold War intrigues, out-of-body experiences, transcendence of time, space, death, and reality itself. Wow. Uh, (laughs) 
Send me that description. I will. Uh, <laughs> they are jaw-dropping, accidentally drive your car off the road, stunning. Sometimes intensely beautiful, intensely funny, sometimes all at once. Oh, that's so nice. <laughs> I mean it. It's uh, They really moved me and really inspired me. And uh, I would love to talk more about uh, Adam's Motion in the Void and that whole story arc, but I decided at some point that it would just be, uh, that was just too big a thing to take on because it's a huge arc. It's in a way a novel, but yeah. I, it doesn't sort of flow like it. It's, I guess you could say the first, the first account forms a novel. Um, it was, um, I think if I described the, the way that I created it, it kind of described what it is. And, you know, if you listen to the first 24 episodes, the first three or four, are, are sort of standalone episodes as I was right. trying, searching around, trying it, to figure out. It felt like you were just sort of feeling your way into a story. Yeah, I didn't know what I was doing. I mean, all I was doing was, um, you know, even, I never really knew what I was doing. I never really had any sense. There just was a, there was a point at like the fourth or fifth episode, and I, I was putting these out every week, sort of, week or two um, was kind of my, preferred sense of you know out, output but uh what it sort of quickly became after the fourth or fifth ep- episode was just to see where i could take it without really ever knowing where i was going to end up so there are some episodes in the middle so you're working that, without a net in a way you know you don't have enough yeah you don't have a well, complete outline you don't have a complete story arc right i sort of it was a lot i when i was doing it and as i think of it I, I I thought of it like those old time, you know, the way that novelists used to publish their um, their novels in magazines, you know, chapter by chapter, serialized. So I pictured it, it sort of like cr- that with those little cheap animations that came before movies in the old days, like Lone Ranger or whatever, those little right, cheap, right. cheap little cartoons with the cliffhangers. Yeah. So it was a mixture of those two, sort of like high end and low end. That's kind of how I pictured it as um, slapstick this, and, and philosophy. Oh well, yeah, and in and sort of in the in, in structurally too, how it felt. Like I thought, I, I came to this point where I really liked getting to these these exciting points and then ending it and then leaving myself in a place where I didn't know where how I would get out of it. You know, kind of like. <laughs> yeah, Batman, like the old Batman TV show. So he's in, he's in the cave, and there's a bad guy. Right, right. What's going to happen next week? We are fast. I whispered into the space. We are very fast, Mister Bowman whispered back. How fast? I wondered. Through the Gresham Park, and then to the edge of the city, and then running out over the snowy, slushy single lane road that the Blackbird and I had flown above earlier. Where were we heading, and how fast? We're going for Edna, Mr. Bowman said. We're going for the Blackbird, and this is how fast we're going. The wind exploded over Bowman's face and chest. We were instantly plastered and iced over with snow. But beyond that, in the perfect focus of the universe, not needing to see, not minding the soaking, melting, freezing ice on our body, not needing anything, just rushing at the fullest speed any flesh could bear to stand, our legs in an invisible torque, a blur of pistons pumping, as my body died in the window chair, and the blood went dripping to the floor, 
as two guns were raised towards two sleeping faces, one in the woods, one on the roof. We ran, Bowman and I, as fast as flesh could go. Are you familiar with Twin Peaks? Oh yeah, I saw Twin Peaks. I love that. So apparently uh, uh, David Lynch had a bit of the same thing where he sort of put himself out there and uh, started the story arc and kept going except he had a you know a budget and a, a process and a project and deadlines and all right. that um and at some point uh it became clear that he didn't know where it was going <laughs> so, well the first year was really terrific yeah and then even the i didn't I, there was a point that i stopped watching i don't know when it how many seasons it ran for but i never some point never saw it, them live as they happened but i watched them all uh, oh, I just back. I love the f- the first year was so uh Yeah. I mean I find I always find David Lynch kind of too chilling for my like taste in a way. Yeah. There's something inhuman about it, but it's uh, anyway regardless I always love his films, but I still always find them like you know, they they press some deep sad button in me. Yeah. I just end up feeling like I don't they're, like they're alienating fil- uh, films uh, and alienating television. You know, you do, you feel estranged from the people you're sitting with at the end of Twin Peaks. Absolutely, it's uh, it, it's almost I, I I do have a I have a love hate relationship with his films because I sort of really enjoy them and and start to fear them at the same yeah. time. Well, you the, know it's going to hurt a little bit. Yeah, yeah, but like while uh, you're also given a little bit of an unusual enlightenment about something that yeah might not be true. Well, I I just brought that one up because it seemed like uh, his ending sort of. Uh, got mushed you know he was running out of time he was running out of season and he had to wind up a lot of storylines and and it mm. got mushed and uh the ending of the whole sequence became a well freakishly weird is one word for it but uh that's not that not par for the course but uh it did get a little confused i felt a little rushed yeah um, i i don't i don't know if i was still bearing with it i think for me it sort of felt like it ended at the didn't they find out who killed Laura Palmer at the end of season one? That it was her dad. Oh yeah, but it went it went on beyond. Right, right. But but I, that I, felt like the end to me in some ways. Like it, oh, that was the that would have been a perfect ending, like a one season show. Yeah. Okay. Well, that that makes sense. But um, but it's uh yeah it uh, I I you know I don't recall it that that clearly. It just struck me that you know if he was working without a an outline and without oh, right. episodes written uh, in the same way that say. Uh, uh, it was his name Straczynski with Babylon 5. Uh, he did have, although he had to scramble to uh, come up with a conclusion a year early and then because he thought he was being canceled and then write an extra year or something. But he had, he had a lot of material, a lot of plan made, and that really I mean, shows. Yeah, I mean, I think you can you can do it both ways, really. Um, and it... Uh, I, I think it I think it would be a more interesting world of of media if if people with money and whatever production would would let uh, the creative people kind of go a little more spur of the moment see the pants do a little more without a net yeah, yeah because it's there's something exciting because you know you don't you know, if you sit down and you you plan everything right you know, and you know where you're gonna go you sort of in a way sit down with the entirety of the piece you're like okay that's where i'm going and you're no longer like questioning or wondering or going what what could 
what it could go this way or that way. And, you know, it's sort of like your entire path has been defined. And that works for, and I understand it. And, but, you know, for me, I can't think ahead of where I'm at and I don't want to. And it's, you know, it's very exciting to, to like go, you know, how am I going to get Batman out of the hot oil here? Well, it's, it's one of the constraints, uh, like, uh, working with a very low budget can inspire more creativity than obviously right. than working with an enormous film budget where you can literally do anything you want on the screen. So, right. So, okay. So, um, let's see. So you've, uh, you've taken, you've also taken a sort of abbreviated version of the first account of the Adam's motion story arc and made it a one man show. Right. And in, in one of your uh, Walking with Sean rambles, you were talking about that a bit and saying how you didn't feel like an actor, but then realized, well, an actor is someone who acts. Yeah. But, but this gets me sort of into this sort of vague feeling of, of interest about how you wound up sort of uh, feeling like you had permission to get up on stage, even in a small venue, mm. to get on stage and, uh, and act. And do, it was, do this piece. I mean, that's a remarkable thing, you know. It's. I I think it's um, it, I I think a lot of people probably go through the same thing. It's it's almost uh, part of the experience was like, um, there. I think you have for me. I had to have these two sides. One on the positive side was that I felt there when I was done with the first account and all those stories. I felt like, oh, I think there's a really good play in this that I could do. Uh, as a a one man stand up piece, so the that didn't come the play didn't come first. No, no, it was afterwards. I and I could, I, I just you know when I was done, I was like I could feel it. I could I knew what little pieces from the story I wanted. I knew where I'd end. Right. Um. And then it was just a matter. And it, I mean, I I got the play together really quickly. <clears throat> um. After that, but it was it was sort of knowing. Uh. I mean, it was positive, but it was I was like, oh, this would be a good play, and I I think I think. I think I could pull it off. I was 67 years old, and I'd been working for the stalwarts for 30 years, surreptitiously recording the private conversations and audio atmospheres of persons of interest. And I was informed of a shift in my status with the secret organization. My recording days over, and a new kind of ultra-discreet and more intensive style of observation commenced. As was his way, Mr. Branson showed up unannounced. There was a knock at my apartment door. His breath was heaving and his lips quivering as I let him in. Time for you to start up with your Hanalikan, Sherwin. He huffed out against weak lungs. I allowed his mysterious word, Hanalikan, to blow not a wrinkle on my expression, even as I hunted out its meaning in my mind. You ought to turn in your carry quarter and any tapes you have, he said shooting the buckle of his briefcase. He removed a cardboard shirt box and pushed it across the table toward me. The Hanalikan 
he said. And the negative thing, which was also an, an impetus, was um, how af- afraid and scared I was of the idea. That was the impetus. It, it be, well, it, I mean, when, when fear is, is so strongly um, connected up to something that also has this positive you know, usually we have like, you know, you're frightened because there's monster chasing you, but there's nothing good about that. Right, you know, right. Whatever. You're not going to get something wonderful or experience something great. Um, you know, and for me, like jumping out of an airplane doesn't have much positive. Um, <laughs> well, but yeah, for the some best you can does. hope for is not dying, right? So, But I think, but for some people, there is a positive to it. And it's, it's that thing, it's that positive part that offsets the fear. So... Well, I had, as, I mean, you know, as I said, I, I, I imagined my life, I imagined an incredibly quiet life where I would work and I would write on the side. And if I was lucky, you know, when I was 60 or something, maybe I would have a book or something. I didn't know what, I, what kind of writer I was. Uh-huh. And I was always experimenting. I wrote some musicals. I wrote plays and screenplays, poetry, you know, every different form I was, um, was interested in. And I never... Nothing quite felt like, um, I never felt like I'm this authentic novelist or I'm an authentic short story writer. I felt like I was just blending in each thing, kind, yeah. of, kind of dabbling, but doing it in a, you know, pretty constant way. Um, and so to, to, to switch from this sense of, you know, what, what I pictured myself like living, <laughs> like, you know, having my little writer's life in a little dark attic space. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> the to, garret, right. Yeah, to 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 um to getting on stage, you know. That was a that was a huge switch switch and shift for me, but I kind of knew I had to do that. I was like I knew I had to uh I knew I had to face that in order to move on to, you know, it's like my way of coming into the world. Yeah. Or stepping towards the world was was kind of awful like baptism by fire because I had to do the one thing that was the hardest thing for me, which was to be in front of people. Well, can um, I can I just say yeah. that that's uh, I, I'm I'm I think we're the same age. I'm 43, maybe um, maybe we're yep. we're close to the same age. But uh, in sort of hitting middle age and having um, a, my uh, a parent die a few years ago, I've sort of felt very keenly that that I'm casting about for looking for some creative outlets and getting fed up with doing mostly what I've done, which has just been working hard, right. you know, and, right. uh, and, uh, in the process over the last few years, finding some people I now consider role models, mm-hmm. one of them being Jonathan Colton, who, uh, quit his day job as a software engineer to, to write songs and make a go at being a, a full-time musician. Mm-hmm. And he's now, uh, pretty in in uh, controvertibly successful at that and doing tours and working with uh, they might be giants and and whatnot um but uh i, sh- I just want to say you've become one of them as well because i'm so impressed by that and it's an inspiration I, because i've been trying to work my way into uh, basically, learning how to write songs. I started entering songwriting contests. And Arbor, you're a pipe dream. You're high property tax. You're diversity, but without any black. You're a pretty young thing with an oozing cold sore. You're a fraud. You're a cheat. You're an overpriced whore. It's my soul that's at stake because I know your love is fake. Not to mention my empty bank account, you skank. It's been a good ride, but I'm swallowing my pride. I've given up. I've done it through. I can't afford to love you anymore. No, I can't afford to love you anymore. So you know how to get Dan Arbor, right? 
You fake left and take a hard right. Awesome. <laughs> And I've been trying to get up the, I mean, I played guitar for years and years, uh, just poorly, you know, but in the last few years, I've tried to really concentrate on it, focus, learn finger picking, learn how to sing and play and perform songs. And I'm getting to the point where I'm wanting to play at open mics and cafes and that kind of thing. Hmm. And so this is all uh, part of the inspiration, hmm. uh, you know, to, so there's some kind of a phase of life change. I don't know if mm. I'm getting quite ready for a career change because uh, I've got uh, four soon-to-be-five kids and you know people dependent on me for for income. But um, well, but I it, think that that whole um, you know I think everybody feels that sort of that pull toward self-discovery and and it's it is really really hard to to figure out you know that side of yourself in in this world. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, because first of all, you know, what what constitutes the value for that? You know, is it enough just to be to play your songs and and you know not be that good at playing? I know I'm smart, but a madman's all they see. Now it's finally a person who might love me for me. Right. And just to, you know, or, but we are, we sort of have built into us this kind of steamroller, like, like, I don't care uh, that it's not that good. To, I have to do yeah, it anyway. Yeah. 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 But we think, we think we, it's hard to, it's hard to like, uh, I don't know, put aside all these osmotically accepted ideas about, you know, if you play the guitar well, you, you know you're either good and you make money, or you you you're bad and you're just you know whatever. Right. Keep playing for some unknown reason. Like why do you keep doing it? It doesn't make sense. <laughs> and then yeah. it's supposed to have a really you're like you're supposed to have a really great, obvious, <clears throat> successful based reason to be doing anything. Right. Um, a cash and a financial incentive. Yeah. Like you're getting somewhere with it, not right. just whatever the end of it itself and i think it's hard right. for people to, in our world to have those things because people in in my family uh used to get together to play music for fun they would do jam sessions on my father's side of the family out in washington mm. state people who lived in cabins in the woods i would uh, see them not very frequently but they'd get together and play songs and jam and play harmonica and that was uh Music for fun. No one was earning yeah. anything. Out that of seems it. like the old style way, you know, how how it all began. You know, it was just that's all music was. <laughs> it was right. Just, you know, they didn't have whatever. So, but that really that really stuck in my mind that that you know I want to be able to do that, and mm -hmm. but I'd also like to be able to go out and and play in front of people and not feel excessively terrified and not be excessively incompetent. You know. And well, I think if you're just doing it, you know. Um, you you can lose that that big fear if you don't really have much to lose, you know, and you're you're not thinking, all right, this is you know open mic night tonight, and 
Apollo Theater tomorrow. Sure, you right. Thinking right. that way, it's very, right. very stressful, and it's a different circumstance. But you say, what's the worst that could happen? So what was the worst that could happen when you got up to do your uh, your one-man show? Oh, I was terrible. Well, it, first of all, it was really big. I mean, it was a, like, it was a, you know, it was about, about a two-hour performance. A lot, of, so, a lot to memorize. Yeah, so that, and that was the only aspect I felt like I could really control. And right. I knew that I wasn't going to be in my, <clears throat> you know, perfect right mind uh, standing in front of however many people right. I knew that, that I had to like, so, you know, for six months I was just in memorization mode just yeah. to get myself over that fear. I, I wanted to feel like I'm not going to forget this. Wow. That's quite uh, a, well, I, I find myself doing that with songs as well so that it, literally they're in finger memory. And right. so there's no, and so even when I am nervous and feel sweat rolling down my chest, you know, I can, uh, <laughs> And still just sort of get through it somehow, you know. But even so, though, I mean, when I did every single performance, um, each performance, uh, there would be 10, maybe 15 uh, very small, very not seen points where I had absolutely no idea what was happening next, (laughs) what what the next word was supposed to be. And I just, it was very, very, it's a short, brief incredibly frightening moment yeah and then you're then you're like oh yes so you're, you're jumping back, out of the plane on. and and you can't find the uh the... Oh, it feels terrible and you know that it's possible if it continues for another few seconds you're gonna absolutely lose your mind that you'll have you know, a panic you, attack you're not going to be able to have you're not going to it's not going to come back <laughs> but so the, it was you know even it, it's i don't think that i don't think that the the fear of it ever goes away but it does get really managed you know you get to this place where you're like, okay, I, it's it's hard, but I, I can do it. Right. There, there's a line in uh, it's some software engineering aphorism, which is uh, the people who look at the creative work, or the person who does the the work is full of worry. The people who look at it are full of wonder, and they don't see mm-hmm. the worry. But without the the worry, there yeah. wouldn't be the wonder. So yeah, I think that's true. Yeah, I always wondered if people could see any of the fear that I had. And um, they, they never could at all. You know, and it was part, it, was, it just had a lot to do with the preparation, you know, that you can make that, you can make that side completely invisible. Well, I so think you know, there, yeah. there's some aspect of, of your character too, who, uh, because he's older and uh, curmudgeonly, if he sort of stops and glares for a while, that's it. Yeah. Just seems like uh, who he is, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's built to uh, to pause and look terrified. <laughs> yeah. Well, he, he didn't look terrified. I watched uh, I watched the video version of it. So. Oh yeah. But you but did look like you were deeply in character, and you were kind of. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, that yeah, I kind of had to be. Right. And you know, it's like I don't think I could do it. Uh, I mean, I don't think I could do another play. I don't think I could do. I mean. I could do another Sherwin sleeves play, but I don't think I could do, you know, go be in death and of a salesman actor. Or, just be act some yeah, arbitrary character. Be, 
I think I can only do this. Uh -huh. you know? I never, you know, there was no, I never did any acting or anything before. I, I would so, not have believed that, you know, if you weren't telling me. Because it all just came out of the character that was sort of like, and I, I you know. Because when I watched that, I'm like, oh, he must have been a theater major. He must have done this kind no, of thing. No, nothing. That's remarkable. I went from zero, I mean, <laughs> literally nothing to getting up on a stage, you know, with, you know, all I had. I mean, I, I felt like I could do it. That's about it. And I knew I could do the voice, and I think it all came out of the voice, really. The, the sort of characterization, and that creates everything else. See, I, I guess if I ever did something like that, and I have considered doing kind of shows like this, but they would all be very mediated with uh, music and probably video and technology, and, um, you know, I'd be largely... And I, I've done this kind of thing like being a DJ for a large party kinds of, kind of mm. thing, uh, where, you know... I'm sort of in front of the party and entertaining, but it's not me, mm. you know? So, but doing it in this, like, so you're doing it in this much more naked way, except you are a character, you know? Right, so, that totally, I mean, I, I really don't, I don't think that I would have ever come out of my little shell if, um, if I hadn't figured out the, the Sherman Sleeves character. So, you know, I, I would have just stayed... In my attic. Re regarding that, it's, I've listened to, and I'll include a link to the 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 bit um, from. On, there's a public radio piece where you play, uh, or they they play some of the earliest. I think maybe the earliest uh, bit of the demo reel when the character's voice first came out. Oh yeah, yeah. And, and I I was actually outside. I was taking a walk. This was uh, at least a year and a half ago. Um. Uh, like a lunch break walk at my office in Ann Arbor and listening on my iPod to this clip, I think. And uh, when uh, Sherwin's voice emerged from like the demo reel, I just stopped dead and my jaw was hanging open. I mean, <laughs> literally, it was, uh, it was the most amazing thing. And, and I'm not, I, I'm not just trying to be excessively flattering, but uh what do you? What happened there? I mean, I'm uh, I'm not really a big uh, believer in Shirley MacLaine kind of channeling or whatnot, but that it, it just appeared like suddenly you were talking and another person was there, and it was the most, uh, you know, chills ran down my spine, and I was just my my eyes were goggling. I was just like, mm -hmm. that is amazing. <laughs> what just happened? I really felt uh, like I was in the presence of something almost uncanny. If that makes sense. Uh, well, I think I. Um, well, you, when it when it happened, I was I was immediately, you know, as as I say in that in that interview, um, I was trying to. I thought I would be a voice actor, and so I and I hadn't done voice acting before, but I have the equipment. Right. I had the equipment for, because of music, and um, my son had turned one, and I finally had a little time, and um, I needed to create this in order to do the voice acting thing or try, I need to have a demo reel. And, you know, the moment, and so I did all these different, you know, and <laughs> didn't know if I had any range of voices. Of course, like everybody, I've done funny little voices here and there. Right. Telling stories, but I didn't, you know, I didn't know if there was any value in that. But then just by chance, I just started doing that, uh, you know, 
I wanted to see if perhaps you you might be interested in coming and having some tea. And if you don't want tea, I can possibly put something else on. And and right when I started to do to do the voice, I was I was instantly uh, in a complete observer mode. You know, like just wa- wa- watching that this watching this voice it. come out of somewhere. Yeah, and it was really much. It was re- really. Um, it wasn't long after that. You know, very shortly, where I was like, "Oh, this is like the externalization of my inner writing voice." This is like instead of finding my voice on the page, and I never had quite find, found my voice on on the page. Um, I before any of the Sherwin writing, I was a very um. I don't know what sort of like a cerebral um, satirist, you know. It's like I wrote very a lot of my writing very much called attention to itself. I think because I'm a good writer. I think I know where you where where you are. I I was a a creative. I did a creative thesis, short stories, and I I did poetry, and I, I had some. Success getting a few pieces published in little magazines, but um, but yeah, they were very arty. They were very literary. Yeah, and it's hard to um, you know, it's hard to get out of your own way uh, with writing with any music or with any any kind of art form. It's hard to get out of your own way. So I, yeah, then, it would be hard for me to judge like what would my authentic voice even be. <laughs> but it's not, it sounds like you really. Came across it, and do you think that were were there some uh, people in your childhood that maybe you you remember subconsciously, or that, or an older relative or something that that fed into this character, or any any influences you can think of, or? Well, my when my mother saw the play, uh, the first one, she thought um, she thought there was a good deal of my grandfather mm-hmm. in the, in the character. And, um, and I was really close to my grandfather when I was young, uh, but I don't exactly, I, I can't say that the weird thing, I, I mean, my grandfather was a very funny, very, um, kind of broken man. He was, you know, he was like an alcoholic his whole life and right ho- homeless and, you know, but he still was like a very, he still had this very vigorous sense of life. And I, I'd almost see this, I almost see it like. I could see him coming up with the character too, <laughs> more uh-huh. than I could actually see him in the character. So, so it's almost like it's a voice he might have done. For yeah, fun. something or an, an oddness or yeah, a kind of yeah. I could see him adopting that temporarily because he was he had a, he had a, a, a this kind of comedian's manner where he would do different things and he was always telling jokes and doing funny voices. Um, but I don't, I don't, I don't have, I didn't have any, um, you know, I don't think there was any, any person or anything that I look back on and go, you know, that's, that's where it came from. Yeah. Yeah. I more, I more think of it as like this really strange, true, separate inner, you know, Another, an extra lobe of your brain that you tapped into. Or yeah. <laughs> well, it's yeah, it's sort of like a version of myself that that uh, doesn't have a lot of the rules that I have for myself. It's which a. I think it's amazing. In some way. It's amazing how um, 
And as we get older, I think if people grow in a healthy way, as they get older, they become weirder, you know, more eclectic, more free, more free to just, uh, you know, oh, I don't, I don't care. You know, I don't care about that. I don't care about this rule, you know, stuff your rule or, uh, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's true. So maybe it it seemed almost like this was adopting an older character was a, a way for you to feel like... You know, you talked about being having a satirical voice that you could just mock things. I mean, not that Sherwin's character is just all mockery, but he's a little curmudgeonly, you know. Yeah, I felt like it was. Um, uh, you know, it's like I felt like if I do anything you do in your in your own voice or as a real as a real person, um, I don't know. There's a there's a level of very obvious, you know, this is a, a human being, you know, talking. But right. doing the Sherwin character, it's much more like um, uh, a cartoon in a way, in yes. the way that it permits, I think, people to tolerate um, uh, a, a level of reality that they wouldn't tolerate if I was telling it with my voice. So he's, you know? oh, he's just, uh, you know, because he's, an older curmudgeonly guy. Oh, he's he's probably uh, confused. He's remembering. No, I, I I more think it's that that it's um uh it's almost like the voice sounds like the stories in some ways, and it's um it's the first you know listening to the voice that you're almost agreeing to suspend your disbelief. It's I almost yeah, the, yeah. from the outset you're off somewhere else even if you trust and believe that the voice is authentic because of because there is some level of authenticity to it it doesn't sound like a put on for the most part um i think you you're ready to roll into other lands whereas if i was just reading the stories as myself i don't think you'd be ready to go i, I don't i think that the the character yeah. Packs like you said, sus- you. suspend disbelief. You're willing to take the ride, you know, yeah. and and uh, not uh, n- not immediately be too skeptical. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. yeah something like well, that. Well, that's uh, that's sort of the whole nature of fantasy and science fiction. You know, either you're willing to go along with the author, or you know, when it gets bad, or when you have a bad reaction to it, you aren't. You know, right? <laughs> so right. I, I would I would say that's that's fair. That's you uh, you're more willing to take the Take the leap with uh, yeah. with Sherwin than with Sean, maybe. Well, so um, I just want to mention. Uh, so you you gave away so much of this material. You know, it's uh, it's all for free. But you're now trying to I don't know if earn a complete living is the right word, but you're trying to get remunerated for it, and um, and you're doing a uh, a six part story with. Uh, with these limited edition CDs that you can get mailed to you by subscription. And uh, you also get access to the website and all the material there. And you can also get a uh, website-only subscription where you get to hear everything. And uh, I'll have some links where you can uh, sign up for that. And um, Mm. so, I'm sorry. I was uh, just going to say that... um, I think, in a, I mean, in a lot of ways, when I started, when I thought of this idea, it wasn't exactly, 
even though it seems like it, it wasn't exactly to get to try to see if I could make a living at it. It was experimental in a different kind of way. I don't know how to explain it, but it was kind of like I was looking at, um, okay, well, I, well, I guess it was, I mean, it is money-based. So I, my choice was either, okay, I'm going to have to keep doing all these freelance stories for public radio or okay, whatever, find another way to make money, <coughs> uh, or I can I can try this and see if I can get paid a little bit so that I can do it because I really wanted to keep doing the those stories and stay, you know, I, I had to stop for a long time because I just couldn't, I couldn't afford the time. Right, you, know, you needed I, to do started, paid work. Yeah, yeah. So I've been switched, switched more and more to, um, doing paid stuff, and and then I was developing a show with NHPR, which started off as as Adam's Motion, The Void. That's what we were working on right at the start. I was gonna, I pitched them. You know, we'll work. It'll be a thirty-minute weekly fictional show for public radio, and but it very very quickly became, um just a regular uh, uh, public radio style news segment program. You know, that right. totally, for a while it was going to be, okay, it's 30 minutes and Sherwin gets five minutes. You can do a little story, but the rest of them are going to be like, you know, news segment things about artists or whatever I wanted to do. And then that even, the Sherwin part even dropped away from that until it was just about me doing, you know, news pieces about things that interest me, but, so I really had this like strong sense I wanted to get back and just do these stories, and I felt like I think if I was making a little bit of money, I could, I could, I could defend it to myself, <laughs> defend it to yourself, and uh, and yeah, feel and like family. You, yeah, well, yeah. it's uh, I I will just say from from my perspective as a listener, um, I've just sort of made this switch and come to realize that uh, maybe podcasting isn't the the. Uh, the, uh, the totality of this sort of new media model. Um, this particular uh, thing was what sort of uh, finally flipped the switch in my head and I canceled my Netflix subscription. And not that the thing is with uh, young kids around the house and whatnot, we just weren't using it, you know? Mm-hmm. And what I do use, the media I do consume, is uh, I subscribe to uh, three or four uh, podcasts. And so I joined and said, well, well, first I tried to talk you into. <laughs> so you canceled the Netflix and then did this thing? Yeah, basically I wanted <laughs> no, I wanted no, to I cancel terrible. Netflix. No, no, you got to understand. We we had a Netflix subscription for years and in the last year we've managed to watch 3 movies. You oh, know. Yeah. So I mean, we we were it's just getting to be too chaotic with small children. And you know the the problem was was when you asked, I had just I'd given away like ten or fifteen subscriptions, <laughs> and, well, you know, and only sold like eight or something I, at that I, point. So it was bad timing, and my wife was like, "No you more can't free give any ones." More away. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was in a uh, we were in a bit of a bad position. I'm. We just moved. I, I told you probably heard it a little about this. We just moved into this big old house and. Uh, uh, we are adapting. We've been here only a few months and uh, was really feeling house poor because we right. had just gotten a, uh, an energy bill which just blew our brains out. We are like, wow, that's not what the seller said it cost to heat this place. Mm. <laughs> Among- if you pushed harder, I would have given it to you. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no. I feel bad now. No, don't, please don't feel bad because, you know, uh, we 
anyway, among I basically said, okay, you know, my entertainment budget is not going to fund a subscription service that I'm not getting anything out of anymore. That we're not getting anything out of. So it's now going to go here. Oh, and um, so we, so yeah, we we now uh, subscribe. We don't have cable TV. We subscribe to a handful of podcasts and uh, and this and um, this is what I listen to, not just yours, but also uh, the David Feldman comedy show, Mark Maron's podcast, and uh, a couple others. Um, and when I'm working in my home office, I work from home. This is. Uh, when I'm not uh, actually talking with coworkers or online chatting, and, and I'm able to to drift uh, a little bit, this is what I listen to. Although mm-hmm. yours are hard to listen to, so uh, what I mean by that is like um, I can listen to Mark Maron interview a comedian in the background yeah. while while I'm uh, doing some work, some coding. But uh, when I d- try and do that with uh, a Kittery Embers episode or an Adam's Motion in the Void story, uh, I can't concentrate on it. And I mm. wound up, if I lose a few words, because the use of language and the storytelling is sort of so dense, you know, I mean, like if you're listening to a news story or something, you can sort of flip in and out and pick up where you left off. And, you know, it's like the way we're conscious, you know, we're really sort right. of conscious only a very small fraction of the time and most of the time we're staring into space you know yeah but, I, I do i do think it i mean it's not a um it isn't it isn't easy in that way it's it's you know and you, that, that, you have that, that to pay attention it. but this this wind up wind up being uh I'm, i think i mentioned to you at one point i had listened to uh some of these episodes over and over well the reason was i had to keep restarting because every time i got distracted i would lose this the storytelling thread oh, it reminds me of uh have you ever heard of um the uh the moon over morocco series were you ever mm, no. a fan of of any of these i think you'd probably like them um moon over morocco and the fourth tower of inverness these were uh um What's his name? Oh, I'm terrible at this without notes. But uh, uh, Meatball Fulton and his crew of people, uh, in starting in the late 70s, uh, <laughs> they actually were on a, I, I may have the details wrong, they were on a commune in upstate New York doing, mm. and they did this radio drama, these various radio dramas that ran on NPR, when NPR really was... Uh, Oh, that's much so more awesome. sort of a liberal hippie establishment. What was his name again? Meat, Meatball Meat, Johnson? Meatball Fulton. Fulton. <laughs> wow. Yeah, um, I've never heard of that. That sounds, I love, I want to see the movie of that. I, I think there is one, but uh, the, uh, the, the Moon Over Morocco series and The Fourth Tower of Inverness and Return to Inverness, they are basically radio dramas, which uh, I believe kind of evolved in a similar fashion where people got together. They started, I think, in part with a bunch of ambient audio recorded in places like Morocco. Hmm. And uh, I'll have to I'll have to send you some notes on, on that or something. Yeah, I'd love something. to. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty terrible about, I don't, you know, I'm not like overly interested in listening to podcasts myself. Right. right. Um, and it's mostly a matter of time. I just don't don't feel like I have very much time, and yeah. I think I have like a workaholic quality about me. That's um, 
I've sort of switched into this mode where I, I will make time for creating things myself, but I hate, I, I'm becoming more jealous of my time about giving it up to consume anyone else's media. <laughs> yeah, well, at some, at some point, I think it's, you know, other people's stuff can cease to provide um, in, a, in, a, in a way, uh, you know, like at some, at some point I stopped listening to music and I was just, you know, the only music I would hear was my own. Yeah, yeah, and I, you do that my too. My stuff is better. It's just because it's I don't know. There's a different. You're just like I don't need to hear a, you know another Aerosmith song or yeah. yeah. You kind of get it after a certain point, and you and then you, it's fun just to do it yourself a little bit. You do that too. I I wind up listening to my own music, and uh, I wouldn't say if like enjoying it is exactly the right word, but sort of still trying to figure out what I put in there and why. <laughs> well, yeah, when you're listening to your own stuff, is um, it's such a fun way to think about yourself because, <laughs> you know, I don't think, you know, I listen to my own my stuff and I'm like, wow, that's weird that I, I did that because I don't think I can do that. Right, 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 song, right. And I never feel like it's possible. I write that, one, a song and I'm like, well, that's that's much better than I, I could ever write, but I wrote it, but I don't. It's so, a, and it's not really true that it's much better or that it's such not, a great song, right. but but it's a it's an it's a strange sensation. I and I'm, I know exactly what you mean because you know, and I'll veer back and forth too. I'll listen to the song and go if I'm in the if it's too close after I recorded it, I'll listen to it and go, oh, that just didn't work at all. Wow, that's awful. And then a month later, I'll play it and I'll think that's kind of cool. <laughs> right. So. Yeah, and it's just strange that you, um, <clears throat> we're so dissociated from ourselves in that way, and it's it's not a bad thing, but it's just, it's it's really just, you know, the creative thing or, or whatever isn't something that you, you kind of own in a, an interior way. It's not, it's not a possession, like you can't look inside yourself and go, oh, there's my little songwriting module. It really, it's really functioning well. Right. You, know, you, you right. look inside. You don't know what what's creating any of the songs. So when you hear them later, or you're you're just like, how did it? How did it? Where did it come from? I don't feel that 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 could be inside me. 